Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We are really glad that you're here today. We're in our second week in our Christmas series called Glory. You know, the glory is one of those words that we use a lot during the holidays. We hear messages uh, with that word in it. We sing songs uh, with that word Glory to God in the highest. We, we see that in the Christmas story itself. But oftentimes, it's one of those words that we hear and we use a lot, but do we really understand it? If you're like me, that sometimes I, uh, um, I don't understand fully, and that's why I really wanted to focus this season on, let's just unpack what this is all about. You know, uh, during the Christmas season, we see how God shows us his glory to us, and then we are encouraged to give glory back to him. We started off this series by uh, telling the story about Moses, and Moses had this unique prayer that we talked about last week. He said, God, show me your glory. And so what happened at that point is God let his goodness pass by him. And so we talked about how the glory of God, uh, the glory is what God is known for. Glory is something that you're known for. God is known for his goodness. And so when we think about what are we known for? Oftentimes we think about the glory days of an organization or the glory days of a nation. In today's story in Second Chronicles chapter 7, we look at the glory days of the nation of Israel. In fact, if you were to go to Jerusalem today, they would point back to the time of King David and King Solomon as the high water mark of their whole nation's existence. You see, King David came on the scene and expanded their borders and established Israel as a superpower. Now, David had a heart for the Lord, and he had this desire to, to build a temple, a sacred space, so that the people could gather together to worship the Lord. Now, David didn't get the opportunity to do that, but his son Solomon did that and created this sacred space. You know, I have a dream here at Stevens Creek that we too would have a sacred space, that we would have a, a temple, that we would have a, a chapel. You know, over the last couple of years, we've been just uh, intensely focused on preparing this church for the future. And part of our focus is really to not only to expand the ministries, but to get us in a financial place where we'll be healthy. In fact, we, two years ago, we just started targeting uh, how could we reduce debt. If you roll back the clock a couple of years, we had just moved into this new auditorium, just built the, the atrium, and we were sitting about $6 million in debt. And so 24 months ago, we just said, okay, let's just start focusing on that. And we have two loans here at the church. And back then, one loan was $1.7 million, $1.6. And in the last two years, we've seen that loan go down to uh, $286,000, which is amazing. We had another loan that was right at $4.7 and we've just been diligent about uh, knocking that principal down, and it's down to $3.9 And so it's been one of these crazy seasons, and one of the crazy seasons. And while we were doing that, 
Uh, we've expanded the lower parking lot, paid cash for that around 300000 We did a new entryway, probably another 300000 We probably put that much or a little bit more into our children's renovation. All that done with cash. Now, how does that even happen? It happens because of you. You've done that. You have uh, given generously, and we have been good stewards of what you have been given, uh, you've given us, and we've uh, put it to work, and we want to say thank you. But, you know, the church is more than about buildings, and it's more than about uh, parking lots. It's about people. And just in the last 11 months, here's just a snapshot of what you've done in the ministry here. Uh, in the last... A uh, few months, the last 11 months, we've had 80 people to go forward uh, with, with their faith in baptisms, uh, which is incredible. We've dedicated 58 children to the Lord, which kind of speaks to the health of the congregation. We've had a 419 students go to summer camp, which is a record for us here at the Creek. And in our Dream Center, we have served 16,833 people in 2019 at our Dream Center. You've given away 81,000 pounds of food. And also, you have donated 52,300 articles of clothing. And so what you're doing is you're pushing back the darkness in this community. And you're demonstrating to this community uh, what generosity is all about. You're making a difference. Okay, think about that. 16,000 people that we have served, under-resourced people in this community. And so I have just this heart of appreciation for what you've done. When I look back over my 32 years here, I'll tell you the last two years, we've seen more growth in spiritual maturity and generosity than any other season in our history. And it's because of you, the people sitting in this room, the people watching online, and my heart is just filled with gratitude to thank you so much. Thank you for doing this. And, uh, and it gives me hope that, yeah, we can move forward. And, and every year we do a Christmas offering, and, and we use this offering to expand and the ministries of the church, and we'll continue to do that. But this year, we have that focus. We do want to create a sacred space. But to do that, I've just set a personal goal that we've got to pay off uh, one of our loans, and we're, we're doing the debt snowball so that that loan A still has $286,000 left on it. I just want to see that erased. When that is erased, then we can take the next step of potentially having a conversation of building that sacred space, that chapel. And you say, well, what would that look like? Here's an artist's rendition of the chapel, what it could possibly look like. Um, it's amazing what they can do these days, isn't it, uh, with a, a, a computer. But that's what it would look like. It would sit right over by the amphitheater, and it would be a place... Uh, for your family, for weddings. It would be a place for funerals. It's a place for our 21 days of prayer and to special services like that. And one day we will see that. And uh, I believe that together we can make that happen. So in <clears throat> today we're talking about Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7. We're talking about a sacred space that uh, King Solomon built. And as they had built this temple, they, they gathered together to have a dedication event. They wanted to gather to thank the Lord. And as they were having this service, the glory of the Lord came in that building. And, and he is uh, what we see in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 1. It says, when Sol Solomon finished praying, 
fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now the priests at that point who were doing the ministry, they could not enter the temple because of the glory of the Lord filled it. Now we often use, when we think about events like this and we think about the glory of Christmas, the glory of the Lord, we often uh, use the phrase the presence of, the God, of God and the glory of God and we use those two phrases interchangeably. We said, God, let your presence be known and God, let your glory come. We use those phrases interchangeably. However, they are related, but they're not exactly the same thing. The presence of God is something that is relative. We talk about that. Uh, we talk about being filled with the presence of the Lord. But very practically, the presence of the Lord could be moving in this room and resting on certain individuals, but some of us may miss it completely because it's relative. The presence of the Lord is moving, but you could be checked out and you could be somewhere else in your mind. There are times in, that when I go through three services and, and I heard that song uh, in the previous service and, and now I'm going through the second service, my mind has a way of wandering so I have to bring my mind back in to focus on, uh, on, on what we're doing here. Some of you are the same way. I mean, you're, some of you are focused on taking notes right now, and some of you look like you're taking notes, but you're doing your grocery list. <laughs> I get it. We live in an ADD culture, and, and our minds are constantly moving. So as a result of that, we, there could be, the presence of the Lord could be in this room, and some of us would sense that and feel that, but others of us, uh, it would just go right over our head because we wouldn't connect because we're not open to that or we're just distracted by something else. Now, that's the presence of the Lord, but the glory of God, let's talk about that. It's slightly different. For when God's glory comes, his magnificence, his splendor comes, nobody can deny it. Nobody. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a believer or a non-believer. It doesn't matter if you're a seeker, you're seeking for truth, or if you're a saint. When the glory of God appears in a place all of us will be captivated by the glory of God. Nobody can deny it. The priest could not, could not enter the temple of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord uh, came in it. In verse 3, it says, When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of, uh, of the Lord above the temple, notice this, they're outside the, of the temple. They're at their homes. When the fire, the glory of God came down on the temple... Uh, they saw that and they knelt on, their, on the pavement. They were outside, literally, in their neighborhoods. They saw it. They knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and they gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good, His love endures forever. And then the king and all the people offered sacrifices to the Lord. Interesting thing here. They recognized it. They could not deny it. Their natural response was to humble themselves. Their natural response was to kneel on the pavement and to worship the Lord. And then notice this. It says, uh, and they gave thanks saying, he is good. 
Well, that directly ties back to generations before this that we talked about last week when Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, I'll let my goodness pass before you. Here we see once again, the goodness of God is tied to the glory of God. God, what the glory of God is what you're known for, right? It's what you're known for. So God is known for his goodness, his splendor. So he's, when he came, he said, he is good as love endures forever. This dedication service that they were in, in Second Chronicles 7, it, it expanded and became a 14-day celebration. It was like a two-week revival. Some of you have been through revivals growing up, and this was like an extended two-week revival. And after this celebration uh, was over, Solomon sent the people home. And when Solomon sent the people home, the Lord appeared to him one night and made a promise to him. And this promise was not only to Solomon, but it was for the people around him. And I believe this promise was uh, for you and it's for me. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray... And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. This promise is for us. God says, if we will humble ourselves, God will bring healing to us. We need to be healed. There are many people in this room that you're struggling today. You're struggling spiritually and you need spiritual healing. Some of you are struggling emotionally and you need the touch of God in your life. Some of you are struggling physically. But not only are we struggling, but there are people in our family that are struggling. And so we come into this service and we're crying out, God, would you please touch my family Would you please help my family? Have you ever prayed that prayer? You need to. Uh, This past week, uh, Patty's aunt died and we were in Louisiana for the funeral. And somebody at the funeral told me uh, yesterday, he said this, and I'd never heard this phrase before. It said, you know, you're as happy as your saddest child. And I thought, that person understands what it means to be a parent. Because our heart breaks for those, uh, those kids of ours that, that are struggling. And many of you have come in, uh, into this room with struggling kids or maybe prodigals. And, and your heart is just broken. And, and you're just praying this season, God, let this Christmas be one that changes our family. So I believe today that your life, your marriage, your career, our nation can be healed when we embrace four principles from 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Let me just talk about that just for a second. I pray that for our land, our, uh, for America. I don't know if there's ever been a day Uh, in our country's history where there's been such division. And it concerns me, and and there's a lot of talk about just replacing leadership. Let me say this. You can replace leader after leader. That's not going to heal the land. 
It's not. And it doesn't matter if one party's in power and, and then that goes away and this other party comes in power. A change of parties is not going to bring the help we need. And we get so wrapped up with, with pointing fingers and, and trying to, um, to highlight differences to where the point where we've lost civility and we've lost a sense of honor and respect for the office. What we need is what we're talking about today in Second Chronicles 7. What we need is for God to bring healing to us as, as individuals, to our families, and to our congregation so that we can be a light in this community so that this community can be a light in our state and region so that our state and region can be a light across our nation. Amen. What we need is we need that revival I was talking about. And we can go through this week and we can, uh, we can overdose on, on cable news and it's easy to do that. And we can allow cable news to just shape our thinking that this becomes reality when truth of the matter, it is not reality. It is not where you live and it's not where I live. But I'll tell you what we need where we live and what we need in Washington is we need a move of God. We need the presence of the Lord to come. And so what do we have to do? I think we have to do four things. First of all, we must confess with humility. We must confess with humility. God says, if my people will humble themselves. We must confess with humility. Now, why is that important? Why does God say this? God knows that all of us struggle with pride. And pride says that my plans are more important than your plans and my plans are more important than God's plans. And pride has a way of disconnecting us from God. And when we are disconnected from God, it opens the door for trouble in our lives. Pride comes in and we have problems, but we don't want to admit that we have problems and we don't want to admit that we have mistakes. We don't want to admit our failures. And so we just get prideful and arrogant. And, and James tells us that God opposes that attitude. He opposes that mindset. He opposes the proud, but what? Notice this, he gives grace to the humble. Now, what does that mean? Grace is the power that you need to change. Grace is that power. And I believe the very first step to receiving the power we need to change is coming to grips with our own issues and saying, God, I need help. God, forgive me. God, um, uh, I admit that I'm struggling with this. I admit that I've got a, uh, I have a problem. I've, I've messed up. There comes a point where we have to be honest with ourselves and we have to admit that we need a power greater than ourselves, that, that, that we have to admit we have to come clean. 
James said it this way, that we need to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that we can be healed. And he goes on to say the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And that all comes to the place, and it goes back to that, that we need to humbly come to God. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. But notice this, the next phrase of that verse uh, in 14 says, and seek my face. If you want healing in your life, if you want healing in your marriage, if you want healing in your finances, if you want healing in this nation. We must pray with tenacity. Now, what is tenacity? Tenacity means persistence. It means perseverance. It's a diligence. It's this determination. It's that, that, that you are going to pray and, and, and you're going to press through that. You're determined to get that prayer off. You're determined. You're intentional. You're saying, God, I'm not going to give up on this. I'm not going to give up on my family. I'm not going to give up on America. I'm going to call on your name. One of the best examples of this is a story in the Bible by a guy named Jacob who wrestled with an angel. And he said this, I am not going to let go unless you bless me. Too many times in life, we give up too soon. We give up on a relationship too soon. We give up on a family too soon. We give up on God too soon. We just give up and we, we find ourselves praying these shallow kind of superficial prayers and, and, and we wonder why we don't see any answers. Think about this. Have you ever had one of those of you who are parents, and, and maybe this speaks to the kids, and those of the kids, okay, let's say the parents first. How many of you have had your child ask you for something more than one time? Right? Over and over, they're just asking you. It's like the kid who was at Christmas time, uh, he wanted one of those fossil watches. And over and over, he wanted a watch. And he would go to his mom and dad and said, I want this watch. I want this. He kept on saying it. And finally, his dad said, Johnny, if you keep saying this over and over, you're not going to get it. I've heard it till I'm tired of hearing it. Sounds like some of your conversations, right? And so Johnny knew that he couldn't say that anymore, but he needed to get his message across. Now, this family had a tradition of, of saying the, uh, a prayer of grace over their meals, but they added to it that each child would quote a Bible verse. And so, sure enough, they went to dinner, and, uh, and the dad said, Johnny, today's your day to quote the Bible verse. What verse do you have for us today? He said, I'm going to quote uh, Mark chapter 13 and 37. And they didn't really un know that verse. And they said, well, well, what is that verse? He said, what I say to you, uh, I say to everyone, watch. That kid was tenacious. He knew exactly what he wanted, and he was determined to get his message across in a way that they wouldn't forget it. You know, when we're talking about humbling ourselves in prayer and seeking God, we're talking about praying with tenacity, about getting our message across 
How serious are you about seeking God? How serious are you about growing in your faith? Here's what you need to understand. You are as close to God as you choose to be. You're as close to God as you choose to be. It's your choice. And so how serious are you about changing? About breaking bad habits? About... uh, Growing spiritually, it's your choice. How do you become tenacious in your prayers? I would encourage you to make a list, a prayer list. In about four weeks from now, we're going to start 21 days of prayer. In the first week of the new year, uh, you'll probably find underneath your seat uh, a piece of uh, paper that says, my targets for God's blessings. And there'll be at least seven uh, lines under there for you to have a prayer list for 21 days of prayer. But let me say this, you don't have to wait for 21 days of prayer to have a prayer list. And there's something about seeing those prayers as a reminder that you are to pray and not give up, that you are to be tenacious about uh, that prayer and say, God, I want to see my life changed. I am tired of dealing with this. God, help me in this. And that we start to go after, we seek the Lord, that we pray in the understanding and we pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit means that you are praying with God's power in you. Pray, God, let your Spirit pray through me. This is the message of Ephesians chapter 6 and 18. It says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And notice this, it says, keep on praying. Keep on praying. Jesus said it this way. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should pray and not give up. Don't give up on this. I want to encourage you. Some of you have been praying week after week and maybe month after month over something. And you are uh, tired and you're frustrated and you're angry that it's not been done. And, and I get that. I understand that. But I just want to say to you today, don't, don't stop praying. Get that list out once again. Pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, Here's the third thing. We must seek God with intensity. Seeking God is not something you do. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get around to it. Maybe I'll do it in some spare moments. It's about pursuing God. It's about chasing after God. It's about coming to God with intensity. It's saying, God, I am going after you. I am not going to do it. My grandmother used to use an Old Testament story, and she would have this phrase. She said, you need to pray, and you need to go and hold on to the horns of the altar. Now, I didn't know what that meant, but I, could, I knew her heart behind that. It's tied to an Old Testament story about the horns of the altar. But she was saying to me, she said, those are the things that you need to hold on to and you need to be focused and you need to have some intensity around that. That's why Hebrews chapter 11 said, and without faith it's impossible to please God. For anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
that we come to the place where we seek the Lord. You know, you don't become good at anything by accident. You don't become a pro, whether it's at basketball or baseball or golf or anything else, without a, a, a sense of intensity. You know, uh, I had somebody yesterday ask me, say, oh, you're from Augusta. I said, do you play golf? That's just a natural question. And I really don't. I, I, I play at golf. I do it for the relationships. I, but I'm not intense about it. I dabble in it, but I am not a, a golfer. Now, my son-in-law, Drew, here, the boy is intense. He's, he's hyper-focused in, in lessons, and, and you can see the progress in his game as a result of that. You're not going to become good at something unless you're intense about that. And so we're talking about how do we grow in intensity in our faith. I think we make time for that. But then we learn how to sharpen our skills. We learn how to grow spiritually. And we put our priorities in line. I think two things. I've got to first put God first in my priorities. And then I've got to make him my daily passion. You know, Matthew says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you. He's calling us to be intentional about that. Jeremiah said it this way, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So how's that going? Seriously, how is it? How are you doing in that, in that uh, vein? He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and then turn, notice this, turn from their wicked ways. Here's the fourth and final point. We must repent with sincerity. We must repent. <clears throat> if, <clears throat> if we want healing in our lives, if we want healing in our families, our marriages, our homes, our hearts, our careers, our finances, we've got to repent. Repent with sincerity. Now, what does it mean to repent? Now, so many times we hear that word and we, we envision this angry guy yelling at us and it's not a pleasant uh, view. And so therefore we have this negative uh, viewpoint of this word repent or repentance, but it's a good word. Here's what repentance means. You're walking in one direction and when you repent, you turn and you walk in another direction. Okay. You walk in one direction. When you start to turn, that's called the act of conversion, okay? And so that's why the old timers used to say, if you've been converted, it's the act of conversion, and then you walk in a new path. In other words, you are going down your own path. You come to God, and he turns you around and puts you on a better path. You've got your own plan. Then you recognize God is the leader of your life. You turn and you walk in his path. It's going to be much better than that. It's repentance. It's a good thing. So the question is, have you repented? Have you come to the place where you say, Jesus, I want to make you the leader and the Lord of my life. I want a different, I want a better life. And he said, I'm glad you asked that because I want you to turn around and I want you to walk in a different path. I want you to do something different. I want you to walk in a new way. I want you to repent with sincerity. Repentance means you change your life. You change the way you think. 
You change the way you think about yourself. You change the way you think about God. You change the way you think about uh, uh, this money problem you're having, maybe this career you're struggling with, this relationship with it. You know, say, God, I'm going to change. I'm going to surrender my desires to you, and I want you to lead me into a new path. Do you know that that is the very heart of the Christmas message? It's the very heart of it. The message of Christmas says that she'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people. He will save his people. He's come to save you. He's come to save me. From our actions, from our bad decisions, from our sins. We've all made mistakes. But Jesus has come to save us. I started this message with this story about the glory of God and how the glory of God filled the temple. Do you know in the New Testament, the Bible says that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God lives in you? That we don't have to go to the temple like they did in the Old Testament, but we are the temple and God lives in us. So, how's that working out for you? Have you invited God's spirit to live in you? Have you opened yourself up to his presence? Have you said, God, fill me with your glory? I'll tell you, if you'll come to a place this Christmas where you're open to that experience, God will come and change your life. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. God has a better life for you. And we look at this verse of Scripture, and I'm sure some of you are saying, Marty said, this is not really a Christmas message, but yes, it is. Because what we see as we we've, uh, were introduced to the glory of God with Moses last, um, last week, And now we're seeing it again with David and Solomon. And this is just building up to the time we'll see it in Bethlehem. And the point of Christmas story is glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace and goodwill. God wants to give you peace. And he wants to bring goodness to you. Will you receive what he has for you? Will you receive that? Let's pray together. Father, I'm so thankful today for your goodness. And I ask, God, that you would extend your goodness across this church, across our online campus, and that we would come to the place where we're willing to receive what you have for us. Now, there are some here that have never been saved. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. Just say that. Say, Jesus, make me into the kind of person you'd have me to be. I receive your forgiveness. Father, I just pray over our congregation that you would bring peace to us. I pray over our families that you would bring peace to our families. God, to those uh, uh, husbands and wives that are struggling and with so much tension, I just speak peace over you in Jesus' name. 
And Father, we as a congregation, we agree together in prayer today and we pray for our nation. God, we pray for the leaders that we have uh, elected and we pray, God, for the direction of our nation. And we ask, God, that repentance would flow through this land and that you would allow healing to come. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you today. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.